Well, well, well. How's it going, guys? It's going good. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so for those who are listening in, this is the uh, Let's Be Real podcast uh, hosted by yours truly, Jordan Ghosh, and Caleb Lahovich and yes. Mason Brooks. Howdy, hey. Um, and what you just listened to is actually something we just kind of like played earlier. It's called Trampoline by a Japanese-British artist named Caro Caro Bonito, and she's incredible. Um, she is incredible. I would probably call her the songbird of our generation. I, w- I would call her my new heartthrob. She's pretty good. <laughs> my uh, my uh, my roommate was is actually studying abroad in Japan this semester, and he showed me her, and I was just like, dude, this is incredible. So I was like, I have to share with people. She should. She's the new voice of this generation. Right. As, wow. as, I, I think that I think that's a solid statement that Dang. I will stand by. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, this is Let's Be Real. I'm really stoked about this episode. Uh, This one particularly is going to be very funny, I think, because we're going to be talking about... (laughs) Get their hopes up, gosh. (laughs) I think it's funny. (laughs) And so, um, (laughs) well, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, just the weird things that happened when movies were made that just made them better. Um, And I have a couple examples of that, like... I won't get into detail yet because I'm gonna actually talk to you through them. But uh, mm-hmm. like, just think of like, like pop culture references that were made on the spot, or uh, accidents in movies that made the final cut and actually made the movies better. And so, a lot of that is just hilarious because it's just a, the right amount of wrong place, right time, and the right uh, the right amount of directors who don't care mm-hmm. <laughs> for the safety of like their actors. And it's just a hilarious, just like spectacle. Um, and, uh, I guess like a little taste of it is just like, so I found this out today. Uh, and <laughs> so the, the original design or concept design of the Kirby dream world video games, mm-hmm. you know, people who don't know who Kirby is, he's like this character from Nintendo. That's like a, like a pink ball <laughs> that like sucks up his opponents and like gains their abilities. <laughs> it's a really it's and like a very, kid. And very also interesting the concept. most fun Super Smash character. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I. Maybe. I hate people that play as Kirby because it's like, you guys suck. <laughs> we hate you too, Jordan. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we Kirby playing majority. <laughs> yeah, but um, with that being said, uh, <laughs> the original concept for Kirby was they didn't have like a design for the character yet. And so, like, and they had to test like gameplay mechanics. So they just kind of put a spear there. And like, we'll see what happens. And then eventually, like one of the guys was just like, "Hey, that uh, that'll work. Just slap some feet on that thing, and it's a character." <laughs> and so that's how Kirby was made. And the best part was is that the original name for Kirby was not Kirby, ta-da, but it was a Popo, <laughs> which um, <laughs> like, oh no no, ever. <laughs> Which was, which was like uh, slightly more <laughs> fitting, I think, for a spear superhero. Um, but oh, yeah, oh, anyways, oh. before we get uh, more into the wonderful world of movie mistakes, um, uh, so 2016 ended. Um, we are, what, 18, 19 days into... The eight, 19th, I nine, believe? 19 days into 2017. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while since our last yeah, podcast. Yeah, 19 days. Um, that's crazy. And so quite a few movies have happened since then. Um, and, uh, I mean, I think we're all kind of like on the same page here. But, like, for me personally, some of the best movies of the year of 2016 happened within the same month, Yeah, it feels like. So you have Rogue One, which was all, which phenomenal. Which was a great movie. And mm-hmm. it wasn't, like, a surprise hit. It was just, oh, yeah, it was better than I thought. Or it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, that's the Star Wars I love, you know? 
And then you had uh, uh, Arrival, Arrival mm-hmm. which personally I think is the best movie of the year. Uh, that I, I do too. I was blown away by that movie 100%. Yeah. I was just I, like, I, I completely agree. And yeah. then recently I saw Silence. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who don't know, who haven't heard about it, Silence is a film directed by Martin Scorsese, and it's a it's like a it's like a, a project he's been wanting him to desperately do for like the past what, fifteen years, yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah, like this is like his child. late nineties, yeah. I think, is when he had the concept. Yeah, it was just like something that he was never able to fully do until I guess like this past year, and it's based off an old book uh, of the same title by a Japanese author. I think his name is Shukandu Uno, something like that. I'm not sure. I'm I just butchered his name. I'm so sorry for that, <laughs> but. Um, I haven't bought the book yet, but I want to buy it because I was so captivated by the movie. Mm-hmm. It was, it, you could tell it was a labor of love uh, yeah. from all different aspects. Like mm-hmm. Adam Driver was in it. Andrew Garfield was in it. Liam Neeson was in it. And it was yeah. just an incredible cast. And they all did phenomenal. Phenomenal. It, it was, was, yeah. It was, <clears throat> oh man. I would compare it to The Revenant and in, like, in the category of like emotionally draining because mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, <laughs> yeah yeah it's a two and a, it's a two hour and 45 minute long movie and it was just like completely it, just trial after just trial. trial and like very little hope even the ending was very ambiguous to that it was mm-hmm. just like well, what happened yeah <laughs> so um shoot with that being said man uh what did y'all think of like uh the other movies too oh well i remember me i I really hadn't seen much of Arrival um, before it came out, and uh, I, I think I'd seen like the first trailer or something like that. Yeah. But I knew it was going to be a good sci-fi movie. And whenever it finally came out, I was like, "Well, I, I really want to go see this." So I told Caleb that um, we should go check it out. And had you seen any much before we had seen it? No, I mean I'd seen the trailers, thought, "Hey, that looked good," and then you texted <laughs> me, and I was like, "Oh, I yeah, I forgot that was a thing." Yeah, and then uh, we just kind of went and saw it and. I was, I was, was blown so away because yeah, I, I had no expectations going into it and it ended up being like the best movie of the year. Yeah, it the, was there were multiple moments, especially with like the soundtrack and oh, some yeah. of the visuals. The we sound just, design. Like, yeah. yeah, we just looked at each other, just jaws down just, like, wow, that was good. Yeah, we just had. Yeah, there was like a lot of moments of pure awe that we just like kind of yeah. looked at each other. It was and, a great original sci-fi. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, I, it's and the best part about it is it's not just like a sci-fi romp, you know, going through. It's very, very intelligent mm-hmm. sci-fi, like the side of sci-fi, which I personally um, hold very dear. We get it. You like 2001 A Space Odyssey. Hey. <laughs> which I will be talking Space about. Child. Which I will be talking about today. So uh, that's oh. fun. Oh, there are uh, mistakes in it. Wait. Sh- it's we'll, a we'll flawless it. movie. <laughs> we'll get to it's it. a flawless movie, we'll- Jordan. <laughs> it is a flawless movie. It Thank almost you. wasn't. <laughs> um, no, but... Uh, I came in the same way. Like I, I only knew three things. It had aliens. It had Amy Adams, and it had Jeremy Renner. Mm. That was enough for me <laughs> I didn't to even, go and see it. I didn't yeah. even know it had Jeremy Renner. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw from like an advertisement. It was like the Star Wars s kind of poster, where it was like the spaceship, and then her face and his yeah. face below. Yeah. And I was like, okay, about. I'll see that. <laughs> Got and me. You know me. I love alien movies. I love sci-fi movies. So I was like, this actually looks really interesting. I mean. If and like if nothing else, like it's at least a different sci-fi movie than Star Wars. So I'm like, eh, well, yeah, why not? I think it's Star Wars. I just it's nice to have like a different sci-fi yeah. movie and out there, um, and it was very much different. Uh, definitely required a second viewing for me. A- Amy Adams, 
did amazing. Yeah. I, I, I felt like we, because I, I haven't really seen many uh, serious roles with Amy Adams. Um, Enchanted. Yeah, Enchanted. Uh, I, I've that that was most of my experience <laughs> with Amy Adams was Enchanted. It's like everyone's like experience is like, oh, who's this chick? Oh, Enchanted. Yeah, okay. Enchanted. <laughs> and then we saw I I fell in love with Amy Adams in this movie. <laughs> but That's she funny. she did amazing in this movie. Yeah. I, I I felt like we saw a great serious side to her and showing off her acting chops. <laughs> yeah, man. Like that movie. Gosh, like I just remember just like how the plot unfolded and yeah. there was like that one moment where it all hit for me mm. and I was like jaw dropped, dumbfounded, just completely just whoa. That was everybody. Whoa. That was everybody. Whoa, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was very I, I definitely didn't see it coming either. I mean, I had a feeling that there was something oh, well, yeah. S going on that we weren't seeing, but the way that they combined like um the way that they just did like the whole uh, the, uh, there's movies that either hit or miss the concept of time travel and of course time travel is not really a real thing I think mm-hmm. I don't know maybe someone's hiding something from us um, but it's but you can never really you can never really like <laughs> you can never really like uh, explain how science, how time travel would actually work mm-hmm. but I loved how they incorporated like the use of language um, and it was a very like if you looked at it, it was a very unique message too that was displayed, almost mimicking like a gospel esque message, you know, like, um, uh, which I found very unique in that. And I mean, it requires a lot of time to analyze uh, and to look over the development of the characters, but it was just very, um, like this this figure is chosen, like they they know that they're like going to face a hard life, but they choose to live through that life anyways. Mm-hmm. They're given this gift that can help benefit mankind. There's just a lot of similarities and a lot of like. Uh, oppositions as well too but uh, also like just cinematically it was very well Mm -hmm. directed Mm -hmm. Uh, sound design I think we all agreed on it was just the sound design was cleverly used to either draw suspicion or to to create attention there and so it was I I thought it was the best movie of the year and I would be very shocked if it didn't win if it doesn't win an Oscar I I would be (laughs) I'd be very shocked when are the Oscars again I'm trying to remember I think it's like March Something like that, yeah. Something like that. We should know, right? We, we should, really we, should. We should know, but I honestly don't really care about the Oscars. Like I said, they're just such fair. a. Like I said, like a couple pa- podcasts ago, I think that the Oscars should happen every four years. <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah. I, I so we can actually rate movies that stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, Arrival was a very good movie, and I will be sure to own that when it comes out in video because I'm probably gonna watch it several times. For same, sure. same. I haven't seen it since that one showing, um, but whenever it's out on, on, on DVD or whatever, it's up there with Midnight Special. Midnight Special is another sci-fi mm-hmm. thriller that I've thoroughly enjoyed. Mm. Um, that had the Michael Shannon in it. Yeah, phenomenally directed and paced. Low budget, more low budget than Arrival, obviously. <laughs> definitely, but <laughs> definitely, but it was very very well done for what they did and yeah. had a really cool message to that as well. Yeah, I forgot um, about Midnight Special mm-hmm. already. Yeah. Rogue One though, man. Like Woo. <clears throat> I <sighs> what, how, what's the sci for, Caleb? Let us know. It was good. No, it was just really good. I really, really enjoyed it. Do you have sounds like you might have a gripe. No, not particularly. It could have been better. I'm just gonna say, it. Jordan, whoa, Jordan, Jordan <laughs> coming in hot. Jordan has said this a few times, <laughs> it, and I'm very intrigued. And uh, so I loved Rogue One. I love the Star Wars universe. Don't get me wrong. Um, I uh, 
watching it made me go, you know what? I really like the direction they're doing with this, mm-hmm. but they could do this better. I agree. I just, there was, I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but there were certain aspects that I was like, okay, are you doing this just to like, please like the demographic? Are you doing this because it's a Disney owned thing now? Or are you doing this because you literally have no idea what to do? Mm-hmm. And I think what's, what made it especially either, I don't know if it makes it harder or if it makes it easier, but they made a prequel that directly influences an already existing movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you like you can't spoil a new hope. I mean, you can't spoil Rogue One because if you did, that means that person that you there. There's it. aspects of it that you could spoil, though. That's true. Sure. But I've, it's like, I, what happens in the end? Well, they get the Death Star plans. I've, yeah, I've, I've had people literally gripe at me for, I'm like, or like before it came out, I'm like, oh, it's gonna be so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I know it's gonna be sad when they die, and they're like, what spoilers? I'm like, well, no, that was spoiled like. In the seventies, what do you know? Many Bothan spies died delivering this message to us. I knew you were gonna. <laughs> I knew you were gonna bring that up. Dang it! It's like, hello, Bothan spies died. Come on. <laughs> remember the Bothan spy. <laughs> Always remember. They ruined my vision. <laughs> oh, um, no, I. But, uh, there were Rogue there were, One. Go ahead. Gives me hope. For um, for the rest of the, I don't know. Mm. Co- <laughs> I don't know. I, I I just see that we can start looking at the Star Wars universe universe in a different light now. Um, that doesn't have to be through the taint tied down the taint <laughs> the, the tainted prequels. <laughs> we we're not tied down to the Skywalker lineage or anything like that, or like following all that. But we can start seeing the universe in different aspects, like from the. The rebel spies and all mm. that, and seeing it in I, different lights. I, I, I'm just, I'm just hopeful for what we can see from the rest of the spinoffs. I, you see, I, I couldn't tell the story I wanted to tell. <laughs> that was my George. <laughs> Lucas. Is that George Lucas? That was George Lucas. <laughs> oh boy. I mean, um, at least we kind of got. I, it. <laughs> I will say there were. I mean, there's so many cool moments though. Like yeah, looking back, yeah. there were so many times you're just like, cool. Like I and will, then, and then you cried. Yeah, there was. So I thought. <laughs> What is her name? Gosh. Jin? Jin. Jin. No, like the actress's name. Oh, uh. Oh. Something crazy. Oh. Maybe I'll find it real quick. Is that the tip of my tongue? When oh, you find it, let me know. I just yeah. read something. I just about it today. I know, Yeah, I, I read how like Tina Fey did something for her yeah. SNL skit, uh-huh. and I was like, oh, that's her name. And then I completely forgot. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I thought she was phenomenal. I was like, okay, you're, yeah. you're great at this. Like, I can't tell if I liked her more than the girl who played as Ray or Daisy Ridley. Daisy that's Ridley. who it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I couldn't tell if I liked either or, but they're both like playing different parts. That's you know? very true. And yeah. um, uh. Forrest Whitaker too was surprising. Felicity Jones. That's, That's who it, it is. Yeah. So, okay, Felicity Jones. I, I it was something weird like that. Yeah. Not weird, but it was something like different. That. Yeah. Um, Forrest Whitaker too, which I kind of thought was like kind of pushed there. I felt. I that, I got that sense. That brief too. introduction with him was like, oh, this is a thing. Wow. Mm-hmm. I want to see where this. Oh, too late. They destroyed this this temple. <laughs> oh. I don't know. It's just they can't I, get over the Death Star. Um. The, but so, some of the but, shots they used okay. with the Death Star, though. That's true. I will okay. say. They, I loved some of the shots so, they gave the Death Star. One thing I will say. It was terrifying. One thing that it does redeem about the Star Wars saga is that, like, that hole in the Death Star that caused it to get destroyed in the first mm-hmm. place yeah. is intentional. And I, I think that just makes it better because there's a greater plot than just sheer luck. Luke Skywalker, a farm boy from 
Tatooine made that shot. It was like, but he used the force, so it wasn't luck. I am on the force. The force is one with me. I'm on the force. The force is with me. Oh, so good. Have you guys seen that? Uh, I wouldn't be a meme. It's not, I'm not going to call it a meme. Have you seen that picture on the interwebs where it's <laughs> the old one from Mulan with the cricket walking across? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. It's my favorite thing. Yeah, I've it's seen that. Force, force. Oh, I did like how they introduced, like, there's more than just the Jedi and the Sith. And yeah, they it did. Was, me yeah. too. It's the closest thing we have thus far to, like, how the political workings of the Empire work. And, and that's would, what I enjoy. And know. I would love to see more of that, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think I said before in our last episode where it was like, I would love to see, like, a mobster movie involving Jabba the Hutt oh. and his gang and Boba Fett on, like, a noir. Oomba, boomba, now, how would you guys feel? <laughs> that was my Jabba. Okay, no. <laughs> how would you guys feel? And hear me out. About a are we revisiting the Force Walkers? No, 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 okay. no. I will say though that was one of my biggest gripes with. <laughs> there is a real lack of Ewoks. <laughs> a lack of Ewoks. Uh, but no, no, no. How would you guys feel about? And again, hear me out. A sitcom esque Star Wars starring Ray Romano. <laughs> That's something I've always thought was lacking from the Star Wars is. Dabra. <laughs> Just, just dad jokes. I've, I've missed the dad relatable humor in Star Wars, and there's so much potential because it is a story about family. So, is it? So, is it really Star Wars? So we, a family story. <laughs> well, this Skywalker lineage, like Mason father said, kills his wife, wife gives birth to two twins. Ray Romano struggles with <laughs> bad cooking from his wife. Oh man, uh, back at the water phone. <laughs> I just don't think that like. A comedy would do well in the Star Wars universe. Like, there's just too no. much going on. No, um, it's just like they add it with the droids, but I find the droids kind of annoying sometimes. Oh yeah, the droids Definitely. are annoying. I will. So I will say this actually ties in well to what I'm gonna want to talk about is that so in the original like the early drafts of Star Wars, like the early early ones, like, like the when, original, like before George Lucas had his like peers go, you can't do that. That's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, he had some. <laughs> yeah. Um, like the original design for Han Solo was supposed to be like a green faced alien with big black eyes. So like Greedo. Greedo. <laughs> Dang it. Whoa. He that was supposed been to look like Greedo. And it just makes me funny. Like, you watch those interviews, he's like, Yeah, in my vision, <laughs> Han Solo was always supposed to play the bad boy. <laughs> yep. Giant green alien, just What's like Greedo. George What's Lucas. Funny is, is... I know that interview. I know what he, and it's pretty spot on. It's that <laughs> interview like... on the VHS trilogy yes. where he's like talking with the interviewer, and he's just like, They're just like, for like 30 minutes before the movie starts, they're just talking about how clever and genius George Lucas no, was. No, he wasn't. Like, Stop it. Uh. <laughs> But uh, like, was or like the original Darth Vader was like uh, I forgot the guy's name. I think uh, no Anthony Lloyd something like that played C three PO. But it was like someone else was supposed to voice Darth Vader, and he sounded like a like a polite British yeah. guy. And they were just like, "This isn't gonna work." Yeah. And so they like got uh, the other. Well, uh, I don't oh, want to push. I don't want to push. John Earl Jones. John Earl Jones. Yeah. To, to voice it. S- speaking of Darth Vader, though, um, looking back at Rogue One, all right, yeah. and the originals. Looking back at the originals, <laughs> so keep both in mind. But in the originals, you know, Darth Vader was sort of this like was sort of painted as this terrifying, you know, Sith Lord and everything, like this this powerful guy and everything. But we never really see him like go like that scary. Like he's kind of like. Fighting Luke, you know, but he's not really, like, that terrifying when they're fighting. He's just kind of, like, clunking around, you know. But in the ending of 
Rogue One, I felt like we saw the Darth Vader as like the Rebel Alliance saw Darth Vader as like this terrifying, unstoppable force. Well, that was the point. Was that like yeah. according to like the source material and everything? Is that like Darth Vader was never seen by like anyone unless it was like a dire mission. Like he was like when he showed up on the scene. That's like when the like when they knew that the Empire meant business. And it was like he was like saved for like the elite of the elites. And so like the Death Star plans are being sold. And he's like, crap, I got to go get them back, you know. Yeah. So you're right. Like when they when the rebels saw him, like that opening shot with the lightsaber, oh. I was just like. I would pay yeah, so much boy. just to go see that scene again. Because that is such a good scene. <laughs> oh, man. That was good. That's right. But um, oh, what about real quick, last, my last comment on Rogue One? That one-liner. Talk about dad jokes. <laughs> Careful not to choke on your ambitions. Ambassador director. director. Ray Romano. <laughs> <laughs> this is just proof it's a family story. Can we just say like how good Grand Moff Tarkin looked? Wow. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's pretty good. So I mean, with the recent news of Carrie Fisher's passing, mm-hmm. um, which was very shocking to the to the world, to the Hollywood world, the movie making world and mm-hmm. a huge loss for everybody, honestly. And Mm-hmm. grieved about that and our mm-hmm. condolences to the Fisher family and them yes. and then her mom the day after as well um, there was the there was the uh, well we got serious there uh, there was the there was a petition that went online immediately and it was like hey don't recreate Carrie Fisher for the for the rest of the Star Wars movies like mm-hmm. let her be done like that's it and you know they like disney went on record and said yeah we don't we're not gonna do that Mm -hmm. yeah and i was just like wait really yeah Yeah. i I thought they came out saying they were no so here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize she already filmed her scenes for episode eight Mm -hmm. that's it that's done apparently her character is supposed to go until episode nine as well Mm -hmm. episode eight i think i don't think they're changing anything uh, regarding her scenes i i believe that they're keeping everything in there that she's already filmed because that was actually her Mm-hmm. And it's like the last thing she was in, kind of deal. But for fir- future movies, and then like years afterwards, they said we are not going to do what we did to Grandma Tarkin, kind of thing. The technology back then didn't exist, so he didn't know about it. Kind of whatever the deal may be. Mm-hmm. They got permission from his estate. I know that. Okay, yeah, that's what it was. Um, but I was like, you know, honestly, that is a good call. I mean, because she was a very prominent figure in pop culture, and it was a very smart move on that end to just go, yeah, we're not going to recreate her. Yeah, we're, we're we feel bad about her loss. Like that that was really rough, but we're not going to damage anything else. Like that's it. So, um, good choice, good decision on that. I agree with that. I think that was a very smart move on their half. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a it was a sad loss for sure. She was a great actress and very prominent figure in pop culture. So. Just a great you know lady in general. You know, it'll be interesting to see how they they tie that in. You know the. Her not being in it anymore in episode nine, um, but yeah, it's a it's a sad loss. Uh, it's very sad. So, anyways, on a different note, uh, oh, time to get back. Time to get to what uh, we want to talk about. Um, so, like I said before, <laughs> uh, movies aren't always perfect. Uh, most movies aren't perfect, um, and the movies that are famous or perfect usually had a whole bunch of screw ups that happened on set. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you like, like, so like the original plot for Jaws uh, was that like the shark was supposed to like come out of the water more, but the and like it was supposed to be like more in their face kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
But what made that movie so like such a standout hit was like how you never really saw the terror or you mm-hmm. never saw the shark and that mm-hmm. terror just built up. And it was a it's a very well done movie. Like it's probably like one of the best yeah. movies in the past like couple of decades for sure. The original plan was like it was supposed to come out of the water more and it was like supposed to be like a huge threat and everyone's supposed to see how big it was or whatever. Well, I guess like the mechanics on the shark weren't working it, it right. Kept, it kept breaking. And then like Steven Spielberg like saw it and was just like I wanna hear your Spielberg impression. You've already done George. <laughs> oh no, I don't <laughs> We're not sh- we're not shooting that. I don't know him well enough. Um, to I don't know it well enough. With Jordan Gosh. <laughs> My vision. <laughs> uh, but we'll, no, we'll like, uh, but um, uh, like the the mechanics were working and the shark just looked bad. Like it, there was nothing like scary about it. It just looked like a like a like a lousy prop. And Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg is just like. Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna show that. We're just gonna like show glimpses and shadows, mm-hmm. and it worked. Like he did like a Hitchcock s kind of thing with yeah. a lot of his shots, and it made it into one of the scariest summer blockbusters ever. And like <laughs> that's just funny to me. It was just yeah. like wow, a, mm-hmm. a mechanical failure and uh, looks of a shark weren't good enough, and that's what made <laughs> the movie be- better. Yeah. So with plus, that, <laughs> plus in that movie, the like probably the most quotable line: "We're gonna need a bigger boat." was improv mm-hmm. because he thought the the scene needed some comedic relief and it worked <laughs> it worked. worked so well yeah so um with that uh, there's a couple other movies that were uh um where stuff like that has happened some of like the um so how about iconic movie scenes that happened completely by accident? Mm-hmm. I think the one that comes to mind is in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> uh, during the uh, Two Towers, there's like the scene where... Was it Two Towers? I think so. Yeah, it was Two Towers. No, um, I think it was in the first one because right after that, Frodo leaves. No, it was the Two Towers. Was it? Huh. Yeah, it, yeah, was, it was. It was the Two Towers. I was right. Fight. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. Fight. Fight. <laughs> I wrote it down. <laughs> uh, no, but in the two towers, it was like right after the scene where uh, Viggo Mortensen, uh, Aragorn, um, found out that the hobbits were taken by the orcs, or like that they're missing, or they, or something happened to the the to Merry and Pippin, and mm-hmm. he was devastated. So on, so he in a rage kicks a helmet, and he kneels down and screams in pain. The reality of that scene is that <laughs> Viggo Mortensen actually broke his toes when he kicked that helmet it was a lot heavier than he was expecting and when he kicked it he was actually reacting and screaming in real pain because it hurt so much um another small fact was that Viggo Mortensen was a last minute replacement for that role yeah he was not the original actor yeah I don't know I can't remember who the original person was supposed to be Hmm. but last minute they're like hey dude we need you for this you look like a king (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's, then, like, that's my go-to compliment hey, so, you, look you look like, like a drifter king, king. <laughs> another funny scene that a lot of people don't really thanks real- bro another funny one that a lot of people don't really realize is that like there was a scene where um, Aragorn like dodges a knife being thrown at him mm-hmm. like, jerks it and uh, uh, blocks it well and everything well <laughs> behind the scenes Another actor, I think it was like playing as an orc or something. Yeah, he was, when he's fighting the orc lord or whatever. Yeah, he like misjudged his throw and accidentally threw the knife like directly at him. And so that reaction you see is actually Viggo Mortensen <laughs> defending his life 
for real. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> poor guy. Yeah. And in that same scene, he al- he also like chipped a tooth, went to the dentist, and then the next day went back to shooting. Yeah, yeah. And like there's another scene as well, I think towards the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, where like he nearly almost drowns in like one oh, of the yeah. scenes where he's in the river because his armor was so heavy. Oh, yeah. And so him and like a couple other character, a couple other actors on uh, in those movies like actually like went through real experiences and they're just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we doing this? <laughs> um, so uh, here's another one. This one's really. This is. Oh, a quick side note: Viggo Mortensen has a jazz band. Moving on. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. It's like house. <laughs> and he used to be a trucker before Lord of the Rings. Uh, that's pretty impressive. That's interesting. So <laughs> I don't know if y'all have seen or heard of the movie The Usual Suspects, directed by Brian Singer. I have. Yeah. I love that movie a lot so because good. it's just very well like, paced and very well directed. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like some of the best moments were extremely unintentional. Uh, really? So yeah. So well, for starters, the way Brian Singer described the movie to the, to the main cast was that he convinced them all um, that they were all spoiler, spoiler alert uh, to those who haven't seen it, that they were all the ma- the villain Kaiser Soze. He made, he convinced every single guy in there that like no you're actually gonna be the, the mastermind behind everything you're Kaiser mm. Soze, and some of them like when they've watched the movie after it was finished flipped out when it wasn't them kind of thing, huh. <laughs> so it just shows how kind of creative Brian Singer can be yeah. uh, when he's not being a jerk. Um, <laughs> even even the cop thought he was Kaiser yeah. Soze. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's a very well done movie. Honestly, yeah. I loved it a lot. But the funny part about that <laughs> is the famous lineup scene when all five criminals are lined up to mm-hmm. like say a line that from like another crime that happened. They're like, so the story is is that another heist or crime happened, and there was like some guy who said a line, um, and they're trying to identify who that was by like listening to these guys repeat that line. So they called in these uh, these usual suspects, hence the name, that they think are like the prime suspects for the case, and you have like what. Uh, what are the names? I know Benicio del Toro was in it. Mm-hmm. It was uh, uh, Kevin Spacey. Kevin, obviously, um, uh, mm. what is his name? There's like the other guy too. Um, but all like, shoot, all four of them or all five of them were uh, uh, lined up, and the scene was supposed to be uh, a serious scene. Like they're repeating this line, um, and they're supposed to like. <laughs> not have like a funny moment at all uh oh yeah it was Stephen baldwin gabriel byrne uh benicio del toro kevin Pollack, and kevin spacey i like gabriel byrne yeah gabriel byrne did a great job in this movie mm-hmm. um so they're all lined up in the scene they're all supposed so eventually for those who haven't seen the movie they all go and form a group and they actually commit a crime together as like a super team kind of deal mm-hmm. What they did, what they were supposed to do was like be serious in this line, and they're like supposed to form a bond, and and then they like commit the crime. That doesn't actually flow or make sense with the character development. Mm. Instead, <laughs> what actually happened was that the entire time they were filming that lineup scene, Benicio del Toro kept farting <laughs> constantly. His like, character is weird the en- too. <laughs> <laughs> the entire time. So one, he he didn't take anything in this movie seriously. He shows up. Uh, for those who don't know, Benicio del Toro is probably like more recognized now as the collector from like Guardians of the Galaxy and the Marvel Universe. 
that's like his main role now. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> he shows up to this movie. He speaks in like a really weird, like kind of like how does it go? It's like European accent, like like. We got we got we got like you don't even really understand what, what you talking about. What are you talking about? Hey, what are you talking about? It's all Seinfeld, yeah. <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Ray Romano. <laughs> but he doesn't take it seriously. He makes up this accent. No one told him to make up that accent. Everyone was actually <laughs> What are you doing? Everyone was mad that he was talking about that. And there's even a line where he like says his line when they're uh, interviewing him. And one of the cops goes, in English, please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, they are always getting on to him, too. Like, there's <laughs> even the characters true. that he's with, they're like, English. <laughs> like, they're like getting on to him for talking because that way. Because they're so mad that he's just an accent. But during that scene, he kept <sighs> farting. Like, he just had a really bad case of the gas. And eventually, like, it just, after like several takes, everyone just like loosened up. And like, what you see now is that iconic scene of like where they're all just like laughing after like they're repeating their lines. Hmm. And they like form this friendship. It's, it's a really well done scene and yeah. it was totally on accident. Huh. And so I like when I found that out, I like went and rewatched it and I was just like, way to go, Benicio. Way to, way go. to go. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, uh, that's, so yeah, that's, that was one. And, um, so here's a little thing. Uh, sometimes when actors get casted into movies, they think that they're playing in a different movie than what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And, one of the more funnier <laughs> moments when you think about it is so in the 1976 version of Carrie based off the Stephen King novel I know there was like a recent release that came out a couple years ago but this is the one the original one from 1976 the, the best one yeah the best one honestly the mom played by Piper Laurie uh, <laughs> was very like over the top like just very like all over the place as like the character in the movie and uh, it it worked well for just like how eerie and up like on your toes the movie was. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason for that was that Piper Laurie thought she was in a dark comedy. <laughs> she kept laughing at herself and laughing at the plot in between takes, and she couldn't take it seriously. So she was just playing over the top and being all whimsical and funny and goofy, and everyone was just like, "All right, well, <laughs> that's it. We can't <laughs> do anything about that." So that's a very. What are you gonna do? It wasn't until afterwards where she realized it. She was just like. In denial, she's like, "No, this is like supposed to be like a like a comedy movie. Like that's what I was told. God, Come on, p- pig blood yeah. falls. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, <laughs> what a loser. Like probably like that's... one of the more famous ones is like uh, the kid from The Shining mm-hmm. thought he was like just like hanging out at a hotel like with people and just like having a good time. He did not know it was a horror movie until he was like a teenager. Yeah, he thought he was like doing like a drama. <laughs> neither neither did a. Uh... Jack Nicholson either. That's oh, the creepiest part. <laughs> no, I think Jack Nicholson. Did. Jack Jack knew. <laughs> I think he just, I don't I think he knew it was like something more along the lines of like a thriller or something. Yeah. He didn't know it was like a dark, supernatural, scary thriller. See, I read he didn't even know there were cameras around. He thought he was just alone. <laughs> That's it. Oh. And it was maybe, very interesting. Maybe he like convinced himself eventually after a while cuz I heard that like that the when they were filming that that drove people nuts yeah like i know there's one scene Kubrick um, caused the the mom like to legitimately like start losing her hair because he put he, her under so much stress. yeah he 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 literally had her almost like they he had most of the crew like not talk to her because he wanted her to be under so much stress and anxiety that no one would ever talk nice to her yeah. or anything yeah and even like uh i know Kubrick's wife came on the set and was like why, why are you treating her like that? I was like, I want her to be anxious. I want, I want this <laughs> yeah. to come out in the role. Like, I want her to be miserable. I loved, I loved like Kubrick's movies, but the more like I find out about him as a director, I'm like, 
you're a mean person. <laughs> like he did some crazy All for the stuff. Film. He was, but film. he was he was so nice to the kid actor. Yeah. Danny Lloyd. He even he played when, with him. Mm-hmm. He 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 uh he helped him. Like he got food for him. Like he was very nice to the kid. Um those two evil twins that he runs into in that one scene, uh like he just thought that they were just the girls that he played with in between takes. He had no idea that they're like out there like in the movie to murder his soul kind of deal. It was just like that crazy like it just went completely over his head, and it wasn't mm. until later when he was a teenager when he watched the movie that he was just like, "Yeah, he was like oh, seventeen. Oh, <laughs> what in the world?" And, and I know when he was like, um, an, like a, I think he was like ten or twelve or something like that. Some, some still young age, too young to see the actual movie. They, they did a heavy edit on the movie to show it to him, and he didn't actually know. It was a horror movie until he was older, and they were like, here's the real cut, you know? Yeah, they never showed him the full cut until afterwards. Imagine him, like, reading the book as, like, a 14 or 15-year-old and, like, wow, they did a really crappy job with this movie. (laughs) The book's a lot more graphic than the movie was. There's some things in the book that would never make it in the movie. Um, But, so, here's another one. This is actually really funny. Um, So, Blazing Saddles. Uh, the Mel Brooks classic and one of my personal favorites mm-hmm. and as far as like slapstick comedy goes. So the opening theme song that plays when the movie starts, um, and if you need to like refresher, you probably find it on YouTube or something. The guy who performed that did not know that the song was a spoof on a spoof. Like he didn't know that like the movie was a joke. Like he thought it was like a real Western. So his name was Frankie Lane and he wrote songs. Poor guy. He wrote and performed songs for a bunch of Western movies that came out at the time, like three the original three ten Yuma Yuma, like a couple of other like famous ones, High Noon, whatever it was. Um, like he was just like, Dude, this is awesome. Like when he went so Mel Brooks wrote the lyrics and sent it to him and was like, I want you to perform this, I want it to have that authentic like Western feel, even though it's a spoof on Westerns and everything else. And he was just like Oh, okay, cool. He like performs it and he like legitimately like sends it like the recording back into Mel Brooks and is like, Thank you so much. Like, wow, these words are so good. Like powerful. I I, I cry. Like there's just so much meaning in these. Like he he was like he was just saying like how he loved performing it. It was beautiful. He even cried like performing it kind of deal. And <laughs> and Mel Brooks was just like yeah, like thanks, man. Like he didn't have the heart to tell him that it was just like <laughs> it was a favorite. joke. And so like there's a lot of like references in there and stuff. And um, he it completely didn't catch it. And I don't even think like he wasn't until he like went to go see the movie and when everything clicked in place and he was just like, again, oh no, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> what is this? Oh no. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so there's that. Um, have you all heard about uh, what? how Leonard Nimoy saved Star Trek from yes. being like a goofy yes. goofy like little sci-fi thing. I no. Love, I love Leonard Nimoy for okay. everything he did. So the I Vulcan salute so, <laughs> so the Vulcan salute that everyone like knows today mm-hmm. like the most icon one of the most iconic images in pop culture or geek culture today mm-hmm. was legitimately made up on the spot when they were filming. Yeah. Um and it was because uh um it was because that, like, before, the original intention was for them, like, throw up a peace sign or something. Um, and um, and Leonard was just like, dude, I don't I don't think this fits, like, the Vulcan culture. I don't think this, like, based on what I know of my character, like, this looks weird. It's already associated with, like, peace in, in real, like, in real culture today. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just, there was, like, a lot of, like, nah, that's not going to work at all. Um, and so, like, 
on the spot, he came up with what we now know as like the the two fingers divided kind of thing. And mm-hmm. he, a lot of that had to do with the fact that he came from a Jewish background. He remembered as a kid mm-hmm. in the synagogue that like the the rabbi would hold up like both hands, and it's like a sign of like um, um, it, it was like the a sign for like the Hebrew letter for Shin, which means like uh, Lord or Eternal Spirit kind of deal. And he was just like. Huh. He just like took one hand down. I was like that's it. That like that like fits the culture. <laughs> so the original like one of the other original salutes that they're gonna have him do was like when Vulcans greet each other, they would uh um they w- ah shoot I'm trying to read my notes and I can't read them. They would uh uh kneel before other Vulcans, and um the other Vulcan would have like their like put their hands on their shoulders kind of thing like a weird like yeah. salute. And he said, you know, like, I don't think, like, Vulcans, like, respect their privacy. I don't think they do that. And so, like, he legitimately, like, invented, like, a huge aspect of Vulcan culture on the spot. It first appeared in the episode A Mock Time in 1967. Mm. So thank you, Leonard Nimoy. Thank Thank you. you, (laughs) Thank you, Leonard. He did so much for that character and just, I mean, really Star Trek in general because Spock is such a big character of it. Right. And um, the Vulcan death grip was also mm-hmm. improv as well because he initially was supposed to just like grapple him to the ground and knock him out and he was like they're like more graceful kind of deal yeah he's like no Vulcans don't stoop that low we're better than that and so he just like instead and he didn't tell anybody or the actors or anything he just like walked up and pinched the guy's neck and the guy just fell down and it was he invented Vulcan culture he really did <laughs> it's so good he's even um, even in Star Trek like like the fourth or fifth one. I don't even think I saw the fifth one. I'm not going to lie. What is it? Like Journey Home or something like that? No, that's the fourth one. Star Trek, a good day to explore. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. No. <laughs> wow. I Talk about Utopian know. Society. All right. <laughs> I feel ashamed. But um, there was one where he was meeting, they were meeting with like Romulans and having like a peaceful dinner. And one of the, one of the lines was something about like uh, an old war that the Romulans had. And he straight up was like, uh, no, actually, in this time, started this time in Romulan history, they were doing this. And he, like, called out the writers on a ridiculously <laughs> minute mistake, and it's, it's just insane. Have, have you, I, I know you've heard of the theory, Caleb, but ha- Jordan, have you heard of the theory about the Star Federation? What's the Star Federation, right? What's, what are they called? The Starfleet. fleet. The Starfleet are fascist. Oh, dude, I know. I know everything. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> he knows. I know. He knows. If you Dude, don't know, you should look it up. We should talk about that. We should talk about like the worst like fictional universes to live in because oh, that shit. would be one. Oh, that would be like one of the top. Next time. Like, 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 just think about like the school itself. Like everyone does the, like, it doesn't like, how does the Starfleet school uh, f- like function? Like from what all you can tell is like, there's like no exams, no tests, but everyone's stressed about the Kobayashi Maru, which is like the test, you know, like that like it's a pass or fail well actually it's just a fail like you can't win that's the point of it um and then it just takes like this cool jock strolling in there on his motorcycle and he just like blows it off and everyone's just like you're the leader of the federation it's just like here take this it's a ship (laughs) (laughs) you'll know what to do starfleet commander it's just like a motorcycle (laughs) yeah um that would be a very i would actually hate to live in that universe because everything's perfect like human, like human That's evolution has fully evolved. Like there's, especially like, to what the point of like the do? next generation. There's no currency. Explore. Everybody just, yeah. Uh, what do you do? It's, you know, uh, it's a little iffy. It's you join the Borg. Iffy. 
Okay, so Mason, you you're gonna like you're gonna like this one a lot. Um, so, oh, 2001, 2001: oh. A Space Odyssey. Here we go. A pretty much a flawless movie. Um, pretty much, more like is. <laughs> um, so, did you know that the origin that the iconic soundtrack that we know and love <gasps> was just a placeholder for the time being? <gasps> oh wow. Yeah. Um, so according, like, so according to this. Um, Alex Norton, I believe, uh, it was the guy who originally wrote like a score for it, like, hmm. and he he was he was uh, almost near completing it too, um, but he was still working on it. He was stressing out about it. he had to get it done because you know Kubrick he wants things to be perfect. Classic. Kubrick. The studio checked in with Kubrick and was like, "Hey, how's the how's the movie coming? We're kind of worried here because we don't know what you're doing." <laughs> and he. <laughs> Last minute decided to just take the B-roll or the footage he had, make a preview, and last minute just decided to just put classical music in there as a placeholder. Yeah. And just so he could have something, like the like the songs. He was just like, here you go, here it is. And after a while, he was like, hmm, I hmm. like that. It worked. That works. <laughs> boy did and, it. Um, huh. And like, it was good enough for the studio. They're like, cool awesome keep it up <laughs> and like i think even his wife was just like hey great job on that you know it was just very like hey good th- th- good choice on the classical hey, music Kumbrick, hey i like what you're doing kid <laughs> i got to i got to i listened to a little bit of the original like the original original score really i need and to find that honestly the classical music was a good call it made yeah. the movie more bearable to watch like the movie is great to watch but there are those some scenes that they just drag out, and mm-hmm. the music really helps kind of keep that going. Yeah. Um, so keeps the blood flowing. It almost was a very different movie, and it would have completely set up a different vibe. I, oh, the guy it was the the guy that did it. Alex Norton was a he was the same composer that did uh, the music for another one of Kubrick's films. I think it was like Gladiators or something like that. Hmm. Um, but what it was, was it Spartacus? Did he do Spartacus? Spartacus? Did he do Spartacus? Did he? It was one of those. I don't know, but it could have been. From the way it sounded, it would have been a completely different movie than what we have today. And are you familiar with the uh, Pink Floyd at the end? Oh Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I think most people are familiar with that. But I I know I've rewatched the ending. (laughs) Have you ever rewatched it with the actual Pink Floyd song? Song. Oh, I found that clip on YouTube. Yeah, it's it's pretty good, but. You can uh, do that with you can do that with like Wizard of Oz too. Yeah. Like it just syncs up perfectly. Oh yeah, I forgot about. And the it's Wizard. really it's, it's weird. with the same song, right? It's with the with the album. Like you oh, can sync yeah, like the, the whole, whole album. The mood. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird, honestly. But it's just one of those things that kind of just happens. Um, or or is it? Or so is it? I don't Ray know Romano, if you. Oh, I am Spartacus. You did it. <laughs> so I have a few more things. This thing is actually really interesting because I never thought about it this way, but. Now you have this role that kind of just develops in movies almost everywhere. Uh, mostly, you can, it's most noted in like action adventure movies. But honestly, you can thank Harrison Ford for that. Um, so, Harrison Ford is probably like most known for his like Han Solo role. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the cool smuggler doesn't give a crap about anything kind of deal. Like the bad boy. He's in it for the money. <laughs> um, like the cool guy with the, everything. Um, but also, he is also more known for his uh, for his role, uh, or equally as known for his role as Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. I'd probably say he's known more for that than for Han Solo. Um, yeah, and he like plays like the smooth archaeologist uh, with the really cool hat, loves digging for dirt, doesn't have a family, always talks to the really hot, uh, attractive lady kind of deal. Like he's got a lasso, got or a whip. whip. 
I'm sorry. Not a, a lasso. lasso. Not a lasso. You, uh, you know who else that sounds like? Dr. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so apparently, <gasps> I want. Wait oh wait, a I want Jurassic World two. It's just Harrison Ford, current day, with a lasso <laughs> and dinosaurs to the space between spaces. <laughs> <laughs> wait, was that Harrison Ford? That was my, Let's stick to the directors. That was my uh, version of uh, <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> oh, man. No, oh, we don't acknowledge that. You movie. see, my vision for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was the dog's name. That's Sean Connery. <laughs> That's definitely Sean Connery. Anyways, no, but the point was is that the role of Alan Grant was written solely for the purpose of Harrison Ford. They went to him, asked him to play it, and he turned it down because he thought the idea of running away from dinosaurs was dumb and unrealistic. <laughs> well, he's not wrong. No, he's so Says wrong. Says the guy who played in a movie where he defeated Nazis using Bible magic. So, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> um, there's that. He um, thought Star Wars was goofy, too, though. Yeah. That's fair. That's why he kind of like slacked off in that, too. But... He's a real now, slacker. But because of that, you kind of see these other roles that kind of pop up in other places where it's like the, like either like the really cool, smart archaeologist or like the really cool, like gunslinger that just happens to be at the right place at the right time. Like mm-hmm. you can think that create that character's creation. You can thank Harrison Ford for that. Yeah. So it's just kind of like you see that how that progressed. Um, and you can kind of, you can take that back to like Leonard Nimoy too. Cause like the direction of Spock was originally supposed cold, to be more logical. Yeah, but he took that to such another level, and there were moments where Spock would like feel emotion, but he like didn't go with it because he was like, "No, I want this character to be the out." He wants he he gave it just enough like emotion to be relatable, but that's it, and it's so cold, and that's where you see like William Shatner and him like contrast so well. It's because, well, Kirk was so like out there and in your face, you know, get the cheerleader, get the girl. And then Spock was so not that. Well, there was a he was kind of smooth every now and then. Like he had <laughs> his, his he had his special he way, had his though. moments. That was but it. not like Kirk smooth. But he has kind of a certain Spock smoothness to him. It's kind of a little, a little more intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. And very cold and intellectual, and just very calm and cool headed kind of deal. And and you still see that like in culture. I mean, not in, well, you do see that in so, new people today, but yeah, you, you see that like kind of typecast though. <laughs> So, um, sometimes, like, when movies are being made, like, we, uh, like, these actors are, like, put through, like, some extreme circumstances where, uh, what you see on TV, what you see on the TV or what you see in the theater is, like, them not actually acting. Like, they're actually, like, in fear for their life or they're actually, like, experiencing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Willy Wonka. I was just about to say uh, Willy Wonka. Uh, the, the original one, not the, not the Johnny Depp version. Uh, <laughs> oh! <laughs> uh, Gene Idler is it Idler? Wilder. Wilder. Gene Wilder. Why do you say Idler? Gene Wilder, his first like uh, impress, like the kid's first impression of him was that opening scene when he walks out on the carpet and trips and falls. They're reacting like in real time. Like they're like, Mm -hmm. this is the guy we're supposed to do a movie with. He just fell. Is he okay? Like they didn't know how to respond. Mm -hmm. He thought that was funny. Um, (laughs) Classic Gene. I love Gene. And then there was just like when they like walk through the chocolate factory, like. What they're the kids have never seen that before. That so like when they yeah. see it, they're like seeing it. Like wow, this is really cool and elaborate. 
and like the the famous like psychedelic tunnel scene. Oh yeah. They knew mm-hmm. that something creepy was going to happen. They just didn't know what. Yeah. And they didn't know that he was going to give that really weird dialogue or monologue that he gave yeah. in the tunnel. And it scared the kids. Like some of them were like, "Yeah, he kind of scared us when we were filming this movie." Um, I'm traumatized. So, the Blair Witch Project is another example of jump cut to Blair Witch. <laughs> uh, I like this one a lot. Um, it, it was like one of the first like like scary movies I got to watch. Um, um, and uh, what's so funny about it was the marketing for it was incredible. But what, mm-hmm. what made it even cooler was that they literally gave the camera to amateurs. They're mm-hmm. like, hey, good luck. Have fun in the woods. They like gave them a paper with like lore on the Blair Witch kind of deal and um, just uh, let them run wild and occasionally would kind of spook them a little bit. So a lot, of the reactions were, a lot of the reactions that you're seeing in that movie is real. Like some of these kids were genuinely terrified because they started to let – the the they start let everything that they learned creep in and they're starting to like see things and whatever and it, like after hearing about that and rewatching the movie I was like dang dude that kind of sucks man um, <laughs> sucks for y'all yeah like seriously but it 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 came out as a very unique concept for a movie especially a horror movie and uh, it probably, started a whole genre mm-hmm. really. yeah it, it really did and it's probably like one of my favorite I mean horror movies found today. footage was was there before that but that kind of really brought it into the a big mainstream light and kind of made it a credible oh, yeah. sort of genre. Yeah. All right. Which is, I have one more left and this is oh, the Jordan. F- only one more. This is the funniest one yet. Oh, this better be a good gut buster. <laughs> Billy Madison guys. So, uh, Billy Madison, um, uh, the dodgeball scene. Mm-hmm. Where Adam Sandler pegs the kids with the dodgeballs, mm-hmm. and oh, it no. cuts like right, right when the dodgeball hits the kid's face, and you're like, "Oh, he didn't really like hit them," or you're supposed to believe that he hit them. Oh, no. Well, here's oh, the funny no. thing, and I think you know where I'm going with this. He yeah. called the director Tamara Davis the night before and was like, "You know what? It'd be really funny if I actually did hit them with full force." Adam Sandler. And <laughs> after getting approval from oh. the director, the kids, and the kids' parents. They said, yeah, you can do that. You can peg our kids. <laughs> so when they were filming that, he legitimately like pegged them and th- like threw the balls with all of his might towards the kids. And the oh. reason why they cut that out was not because like it, the kids like decided against it afterwards, but more because like after he hit them, the kids fell to the floor crying. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Adam, your heart. And I already did it like Adam Sandler. <laughs> <And> <laughs> And they were like, you know what? I, I don't think we need to show this. crying kids in this movie. And so they cut oh, that genuine out. Genuine crying. Oh, my gosh. Just, uh. He thought that would be funny. Oh, man, dude. I don't I, know. He thinks a He's lot a, of things so, are funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, so going back uh, as a way to wrap everything up, sometimes you just don't know what you're going to get. Like the final product we see is not what was originally con- was supposed to be there concept-wise. Um I think one of the most notable things is like how the concept of the Scooby-Doo uh, TV show and everything got started because mm-hmm. conceptually it was just a bad idea. Conceptually, it started out as a musical group that would go around <gasps> and solve mysteries, and their dog was named uh, uh, Take That or something. Like That was their dog's name, and he was the drummer. The reason why they named I, him I Scooby... I kind of want that. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why they named him Scooby-Doo was... <laughs> One of the producers or director, I can't remember the details of this, but I just remember this part was that like towards the end, um, uh, 
one of the producers was listening to uh, for Frank Sinatra track. I think it was like Stranded in the Night or something like that. Mm-hmm. And doobie, at the end, he, he he does like that scat at the end. And he was just like, doobie doob doob or whatever. And the guy was just like, hey, those are words. That's a great name. And thus, Scooby-Doo was born. And then they changed it from a musical group to a bunch of teenagers that solved mysteries. So hmm. conceptually, things are weird. And then when you get the final product, it's like, oh, that's much better. That's more polished. So, hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's all like, that's all I wrote down like for tonight. But yeah. I just thought that there's, Hollywood is just full of just funny, goofy mess ups yeah. between takes. And well, and some of them, I'm sure you guys know, but uh, in Django Unchained, when Leonardo DiCaprio's yes. character yeah. discovers, um, you know, the real reason they're all there, um, and he breaks the glass and. Leonardo DiCaprio, the actor, legitimately cuts his hand and is and bleeding everywhere. Puts and his he, bloody hands on and one of the keeps actresses. Going and yeah, and just pushes through it. And that obviously was not scripted for him to actually cut his hand, but which, by the way, how did he, just Oscars? How does he not have more? But we've covered that before. But movie mistakes are crazy. Yeah, weird and wacky stuff. Weird and wacky so, stuff. So. Um, this probably is going to be the shortest episode we've done, but we're actually a little pressed for time tonight. Uh, but it's a good, I think it's a good returning episode, uh, from just a long break. Um, and I'm excited to do more. Um, oh yeah. Uh, it has been really fun. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to say? I, I just love 2001. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's been fun. I hope you guys had fun listening. Yeah. We'll see what other movies come out. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh this has been uh, another episode of Let's Be Real uh with uh your hosts uh Jordan Ghosh, Caleb Lahovich, and Mason Brooks. Uh we just want to also give a shout out to Dallas Baptist University for letting us use their uh recording studio to do all this and a shout out to our sponsor Carter Willis who has been behind this idea from the beginning. First you fall down, then you jump back up again. Find your rhythm, momentum